Listening to the Bellator Christie podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. continuing our series as we've been looking at uh, what's called mere Christianity, the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. And before we get started, I want to uh, take a moment and thank June, Boo, and the Building and Grounds Committee uh, for the wonderful job they've been doing with the windows. And I, I, I love coming in here each morning, and, I, and you can see it this morning how the sun is just shining through the windows. Uh, just looks fantastic in here, so I think they deserve a round of applause. They put a lot of hard work and effort into this, and I think it just looks beautiful. I love seeing the light shining through the stained glass windows, the beautiful stained glass windows here, and so I think it just really, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I just love the light shining in here. I think, I think it's really neat, but uh, we are getting back on topic, uh, running rabbits there, but uh, but I think it needed to be said, and, and uh, wonderful job by everybody. Uh, Going back to a topic at hand, we're talking about mere Christianity, uh, the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. And today we want to look at a popular passage of Scripture. In fact, most of you may even know this by heart. We're looking at uh, the Gospel. Uh, we're looking at the fundamentals of the Gospel. And we're looking at John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. And so we want to encourage everyone to stand and uh, pay honor to the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. John chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. Um, already in our series, we have noted the following statements. Uh, number one, we've noted that God is exclusive, meaning He's one. He is eternal, transcendent, meaning that He's beyond the scope of creation. He's personal, working within creation. We've also noted that Jesus is 100% God and 100% humanity, or human in His identity. We've also noted that Jesus' death was sufficient so that the world could be saved, but efficient so that the elect would be saved, those who uh, respond to the gospel message, which, you know, God only knows. Uh, Jesus literally and physically rose from the dead on the first Easter Sunday. We also noted that the one God is made up of three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so today we want to take it a step farther. We want to take a look at the core fundamentals of the gospel message itself. This is something that has been proclaimed from the earliest times of the church up to now. It's been unchanged and uh, you know, uh, completely the same as it's always been. And so what a wonderful news this gospel message is. So let's take a look at John chapter 3 starting in verse 16. For God so loved the world 
that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing to be upon this message this morning. Lord, uh, I am incapable of, of explaining these truths of my own accord, but I know that you're capable to do all things. And so I just ask, Lord, that you would just use me as your instrument this morning. Allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken and hold back any words that don't need to be spoken. And Lord, we just ask that you would open our eyes that we would see, our ears that we would hear, and our hearts that will apply these truths and be better for it. For it's in Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Some of you have probably heard this story before, uh, and I can't remember if I've shared it with you here at Huntsville or not, and if I have, just bear with me, but some of you may not have heard this story. This is a, one of those stories that can only happen to me. Uh, it's one of those uh, Brian stories. I, I've told people that I'm a walking Murphy's Law. If it's going to happen to somebody, it's probably going to be me. Uh, so, some people think that a yard looks better if it's mown by a uh, push mower. And that may, may be true, but uh, after Jennifer and I was uh, married, uh, Dad, knowing that I do not do well in the summertime heat, uh, let us have, uh, as we were getting started, let us have his old Lowe's lawnmower. And uh, this is a good lawnmower. It was, you know, old, had several miles under its belt, but it worked, it worked well. And we live, uh, you know, we live on a large estate of three quarters of an acre. And so uh, it did well for us. And so behind our house, there's a stand of trees that separate our property line from, from a uh, landscaping place. And so I was making one of the passes around the yard, and I noticed that there was a uh, tire bouncing in the woods. And I thought to myself, who threw a tire at me? And then I looked down to the bare axle that once had held that very tire that I saw bouncing through the woods. And it's almost like a cartoon. You know how, you know, with uh, Wally Coyote, when he notices that he's off the cliff, that's when he falls? It's exactly what happened to me. The moment I noticed that it, the wheel had actually come off the lawnmower is when the axle dug into the earth and it became a plow. I made the prettiest plow line that you ever see in your life. And so here I was, heading straight for the tree. I pushed the brake, but it only made the lawnmower go faster instead of slowing it down is what a brake is supposed to do. Nine times out of ten is what it's supposed to do. But anyhow, uh, this I was going faster and faster, and all the while I could see in the next morning's newspaper, local Yakinville hillbilly kills himself on Lowe's lawnmower, Home Depot stocks increases. You know, that was the headline I could see on the next morning newspaper. Well, finally I just turned the thing off and it finally stopped. And I went in there and told Jennifer about what happened. We hadn't been married long. And she gave me a look. She still does today. When I tell her something that's just hard to believe, she'll look at me and she'll shake her head and say, what? And I got that look that day. 
And I told her that I lost the wheel. So I go out there and I lift up the lawnmower and she puts the tire back on and we push the lawnmower back in the building and yes, I had to push mow the rest of the yard that day. But come to find out that the problem emerged because there was a little C-clamp that was missing on the axle. That little C-clamp is what held the tire in place and because it was missing, the tire left the lawnmower and I had the whole debacle that I did. Now, even though it seems to be a very small thing, it was very important to hold together the tire to the lawnmower. And ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you today that while the gospel may seem simple, it is the very core thing that holds together our faith. It's the very core that comprises Christianity. And without it, beloved, we lose the focus about what we're all about as Christians. Now, I wrote an article on my website this past week and some people didn't understand it because of the way it was worded. Not, not because of, it's just a term that people use today. A lot of times people say that we need to make the gospel relevant to our culture. We need to make it relevant to our culture by changing this about it or changing that about it. Or we need to make the church relevant to our culture by changing this or changing that. Can I tell you something? The moment we make the gospel relevant in that sense is the very moment in time that we as a church become irrelevant to God. Amen? We cannot change the gospel message. It's been true for 2,000 years. It'll be true for 2,000 more if God uh, permits this world to be here for 2,000 more, which I highly doubt it probably will. But if it were to be here for 2,000 more years... It's going to be the same truth then as it is now as it was 2,000 years ago when Christ first presented it. This is absolutely fundamental. We cannot change the gospel message. It is the message that has been proclaimed. It's called the charisma. Many people call it the gospel proclamation that Jesus has come and bore upon himself our sins so that we can be saved. But what comprises this gospel message? I believe there are three things, three words. Now, the third word is going to sound a little weird, but once I explain it, I hope it will make sense. Loss, love, and the word line, L-I-N-E. It's a line of demarcation, as we'll see, to this gospel message. Number one, we see the gospel's fundamental doctrine of loss, that meaning humanity's condition. Now, let's go back to verses 19 through 21. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. Now, it, it always seems whenever the Word of God is challenged that God somehow and another enlightens people to show them the truth. Uh, some, some people used to say, well, John must have borrowed from Greek terminology talking about light and dark. Actually, when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found a whole vast Jewish literature describing light and darkness. Light being compared to the people of God, to the power of God, to goodness that is, and darkness being compared to the dark powers of darkness, that of Satan and of evil. What we find in verse 19 is very clear in the teachings of Jesus. That human, the human condition is lost. That we cannot save ourselves. You can't save yourself and I can't save myself. It would take us absolutely being perfect from the moment we were born to the moment we died for us to be able to earn heaven. Can we do that? Let me ask you a question. How many of you had a bad thought this week about somebody? <laughs> I'll admit it. 
I was driving. As a matter of fact, I had a bad thought about someone this morning. We went by to get breakfast, and 30 minutes later, we were still waiting for the breakfast. So anyhow, I had some bad thoughts this morning. So by my own admonition, if it were up to me, I would already be condemned this morning because of the breakfast line uh, that we were in. Beloved, the fact of the matter is, is we can't save ourselves. Jesus makes it clear that a thought is the same as a deed. We can't save ourselves. In verse 19, we see the lost condition of unrighteousness. Because Adam chose to sin and Eve chose to sin, they introduced sin into the realm of humanity. And that means that we are depraved. That's not a very nice word, Pastor, but it's true. And what that means is we choose the evil rather than the good. We often choose what's wrong and what's bad for us rather than choosing what's good and what's right. This past week, yes, I'll admit it, I was watching Lifetime Movie Network with my wife, and there was a Britney Spears movie on, and that was probably as much unmannish as one can get. Uh, but anyhow, that's what we did. I, it, I found this documentary to be quite interesting, this biography about Britney Spears to be uh, very interesting, because you know, as she was uh, going down this pathway in life that was bad, uh, that was, was self-destructive, uh, she had a lot of the people of paparazzi and newspaper agencies that were taking pictures of her. And, you know, you also had around this time that video that was made popular on YouTube, Leave Britney Alone, screaming this, this person was. Well, needless to say, one thing that was mentioned in this movie that I found quite interesting is a question asked by the actor playing Spears who says, Why do people get a thrill off the misery of others? That's a good question. Why do we take such a thrill off the misery of other people? Why do we do that as human beings? I, believe, I, I tell you, that, folks, that's the reason why popular media is as popular as it is today. Because they don't promote good news, do they? Very rarely will they give a point of good news. It's all negative. Something someone here did, something bad to somebody else. In fact, that's why that some of these goofy books of theology have become so popular because if you can show some type of scandal out there, then people will buy your books. Amen? Controversy sells. Why is that? Because we as human beings, we choose the darkness rather than the light. And that's why we had to have a Savior to come and to save us. Our condition is where we cannot save ourselves. And also we see the lost condition, not only of unrighteousness, but of falsehood. In verses 20 and 21. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. You see, the fact of the matter is something we have to understand is that we don't save ourselves. God saves us. Christianity is the only religion in the world where we see God pursuing sinners. And that's what has happened with us. We don't save ourselves. God reaches out to, to individuals and changes hearts, transforms lives. It's because of the power of God that any of us are saved. Because we of ourselves, we would choose what's wrong over what's right. Amen? That's why the National Enquirer and so many of these weird newspapers sell. People choose the falsehood over the truth. We must, we, must, uh, we must, as God impresses upon our hearts the truth of His Word, as He impresses upon our hearts the truthfulness 
of who He is and of His salvation, we must respond to that according to the insight that He gives us through the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's just the, that's just the power of the gospel. We not only save ourselves, it requires God reaching into our hearts to give us even a chance to know that He is real. The very fact that you're a Christian today means that God has reached into your heart, that He has revealed His truth to you, beloved. That's the power of the gospel. Number two, we see the gospel's fundamental doctrine of love. That's humanity's chance. We have a chance at salvation. We've been given salvation because of the love of God. The gospel first confronts the problem of humanity, but it doesn't end there. The gospel offers humanity a hope, a chance to change the opportunity for renewal. It's a chance that is rooted in the love of God. We see first and foremost the loving chance by God's choice. Look what he says in verse 16. For God so loved the world. Now who so loved the world? God. Now, there are many attributes of God. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Now, God has many attributes, and we've discussed that in previous messages. He's omnipotent, meaning He's all-powerful. He's holy. He's uh, omniscient, which means He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent, meaning that He can be everywhere. But, beloved, the gospel is rooted in one of the attributes of God, and that is His love. If God did not love you, He would not have sent His Son. Amen? If God did not love you, He would not save you. If God did not love you, He wouldn't care about us, but He does. Well, the reason we're giving a loving chance is because of God's choice. Ultimately, you have to see that the choice was God's to make. It's not left up to us, it's left up to God. God is the one who from eternity past chose to say, I will save humanity. I will save those by the power of my Son. In the, in the Bible we see, in fact in Greek, <coughs> in the Greek language we see that there are four words for love. The word storge is a kind of a friendship love. This, this one isn't used in the Bible, but the other three are. There's another word called eros, which is used of love. It's a sensual love. We get our word erotic from this word. It's a sensual, lustful kind of lust, uh, kind of love. But you know, that's the lowest form of love used. That's the one that's promoted in our society. But it's the lowest form of love that's used in the Greek language. There's also phileo love, which is a brotherly type of love. A, a, a good friendship, a kind of kinship type of love. But there is the highest form of love, and you've probably heard this word before, the word agape. Do you know that this isn't an emotional love? It's a love of choice. It's a love that God has for us. It's an unconditional love that He has made the choice to say that it doesn't matter where that person's been. It doesn't matter what that person's done. I'm going to love this person eternally. I'm going to love this person thoroughly. And the Bible tells us that there is absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. Amen? There's not a mountain high enough. There's not a valley wide enough. There's not an ocean low enough. There's not anything possible that can separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. Beloved, others may have forsaken you. 
Others may have turned aside from you and have neglected you and forsaken you, but God in His great love will never, ever stop loving you. Isn't that wonderful news? That God will never stop loving you. We also see the loving chance, not only by God's choice, but by God's Christ in verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. There's only one way, one truth, and one life. Jesus says in John 14, 6, No one comes to the Father except through Me. Why is that? Because Jesus is God's Christ. He is God's plan of salvation. And if that is God's plan, who are we to say that there's another? We can't. Because this is the plan that God has enacted through eternity past, that He would send His Son to die for our sins. I watched a movie um, a few years back. It's called Dante's Peak. I don't know if you've seen it or not. It's, uh, it's one of those uh, movies about, uh, well, well not, not in time movies, what do you call it? It's uh, one of those disaster type movies. Uh, it's about a, this volcano that erupts called Dante's Peak in northwestern United States. It's either in Washington or Oregon. I'm not sure which state it's supposed to be in. But it's, uh, it has Pierce Brosnan who plays this volcanologist who comes and warns this town about this uh, eruption that's about to take place. And of course, as most of these movies go, no one believes them. Of course, if everyone believed them, there wouldn't be much of a plot to it and it'd be over and done with. But, but no one believed him. You know, he, he's uh, giving them warnings and they don't heed his warnings. And then Linda Hamilton, who plays a mother, she finally is convinced and she's trying to convince her mother who lives up on this mountain to come down the mountain and her mother won't come down. Even if Jesus were to come, uh, she wouldn't come off that mountain. She was committed to staying on that mountain no matter what happened. Well, needless to say, the kids, her kids were worried about their mother, so they take the 4x4 the, the, uh, the four four up there to try to rescue the grandmother. And then finally, Pierce Brosnan's character and Linda Hamilton go up there to rescue all of them. And by this time, the lava's coming down, the, the, the truck is destroyed, and so they have to uh, go across this lake on a boat, this John boat, this metal John boat. And so they have this tow motor, and as they're going, if you watch the movie, you remember this, the lake starts turning into sulfuric acid. They start seeing these fish popping up dead. They start smelling this awful smell. And they notice the tow motor stops uh, running. And then they start singing nervously, row, row, row your boat, as they're trying to use the oars, but they start melting. And then they use their coats, and then the boat itself starts melting, of all things. And one last heroic moment in that movie, as they're going across the lake, they're almost to the other side, the boat's going down, and this grandmother does the unspeakable. She jumps out in this lake, which is now turned to sulfuric acid, and grabs the boat and throws it over to safety to the dock. The kids get out, the grandkids get out, everyone's safe, and they rescue this grandmother as she's burned alive, she eventually dies. But I think in that moment in that movie, we see what sacrificial love is all about. Because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. No, he didn't jump in no sulfuric acid. But he did bear the, the, bear the brunt of our sins, bear our sins upon his back to give us life. He sacrificed himself so that we may live. And that's the fundamental of the gospel. That by Christ we have life. By his sacrifice we can truly live. Last but certainly not least. We see the gospel's fundamental doctrine of line, L-I-N-E. Now, what do I mean by this? We're talking about humanity's commitment here. 
The prophet Amos uses a plumb line to describe God's Word. And I think we see the same thing with the Gospel message. Because Jesus does the same thing. He says that at the end of time, He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. The sheep, which represent the children of God, and the goats representing those who are not His. And we see this line of demarcation that comes by the Gospel message. It's something that each of us have to deal with in our lives. Each person across humanity, across the globe, has to, they have to eventually deal with this. Are they going to receive Christ as their Savior? So we see a linear commitment of one of two camps. We see the linear commitment to salvation in verse 18. Look what he says. He who believe, believes in Him, talking of Christ, is not condemned. Beloved, this, this is a matter of trust here. And this is what it comes down to. The word believe is translated from the word Greek term pistuo, which means to have complete trust and reliance. When we talk about faith, that's what we're really talking about. That we trust, not only that we just believe these things to be true, which we do, but we trust in Christ that He's done the things that He's really done, that He's doing the things that He's really doing, and that He will do the things that He's promised to do. We trust in Him. And folks, I understand it's, it's hard to trust sometimes. We, we live in a time where it's hard to trust anybody anymore. You know, Jennifer was telling me about uh, some type of scam where they ask you to uh, do something or another and you say yes and then they try to charge your credit card or something. I mean, I don't even know how to get your information to do that. I mean, it's hard to trust anybody. And I'm, I'm really blessed because uh, I have a wonderful wife. But you know, before I met her, I dated a lot of duds. Anybody else been there? <laughs> I'm right there with you. In fact, I dated one girl who I caught, you know, uh, running around on me and everything like that. And, you know, and she, she didn't even see a problem in that. Like, what's wrong with that? And my mom tried to warn me about that girl to begin with. And I thought, my goodness, I wish I listened to my mom when I first met this woman. But anyhow... But luckily, I'm blessed with a wonderful wife. And you know, over time, whenever our hearts have been stomped on, it's hard to trust. But eventually, I grew to trust her, and she grew to trust me, and we grew, it grew into a love, and we, we trust one another today. At least I hope she trusts me. <laughs> you have to ask her after service. <laughs> but nonetheless, that's the same type of trust that we have with our Savior. We have to trust in His promises. We have to depend upon Him. This is not just a, a set of beliefs that we have. It's a trust, a dependency that we have upon the living Christ who is not dead, but who has risen from the dead, and we trust and depend upon Him. But we also have a linear commitment to condemnation in verse 18 as well we see. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Here we see the word crino, which used of uh, uh, one who is guilty and liable to punishment. And what we see here is that someone who has not received Christ, they're playing Russian roulette with their immortal soul. Because no one knows the moment that their soul is going to be required of them, do they? I mean, God could at any moment take us just like that. I mean, I didn't know that I was going to be battling the flu this past week of all things. I mean, uh, none of us know what we're going to be met with from one day to the next. So if a person is here, and if you're here today, and I trust that most of you have received Christ, 
But if you're here today and you've never received Jesus, today is the day that you need to make sure to get that right because every day that passes that you, that you don't receive Christ is, is another chance, another gamble you're taking with your eternal soul. Let me close with this. When I first came to Huntsville, I was uh, shown a box of keys. Philip knows about this box in the office. There's a box of keys. And I found several different types of keys in the box. Some keys went to the front door of the sanctuary. Some keys went to the educational wing. Some keys went to the pastor's office. Some keys went to the fellowship building. And some keys, I still have no clue what they go to. I've still been trying to figure out what some of those keys go to. Uh, a big old box of keys. But the wonderful thing about the gospel message is this. We have been given the keys to the kingdom through Jesus Christ. And it opens up the front door of God's kingdom. Through Jesus Christ, we have a, an open invitation to the throne of God. That when we pray, our prayers are heard before the very throne of God. We, we have the uh, keys to the front door of heaven, to the pearly gates of heaven, so that when we die, there's no question whatsoever that if we have Jesus Christ in our heart and our life, we can know that we know that we know that we are born again and that we are His. John writes in his first letter, not the gospel, but the letter that he, that he wrote. He says, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life in Him, that you may have this assurance in Jesus Christ. If you're here today, we went over the fundamentals of the gospel message. And if you're here today and you're not sure about whether you're saved, why don't you come down you don't have to live as a question mark in God's grace. He gives us the assurance to know that we are His. And by receiving the salvation that He bestows to us through His Holy Spirit, we know that we have eternal life in Him. And beloved, I want, I want, you know, in this world of uncertainty, it's so good to know that we have that promise of security in Christ Jesus. Even though the devil may try to steal us from his hands, he'll never be successful. Because we're in the palm of Christ's hands and no one can take us from His hands. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I encourage you here today, if you've never received Jesus, why don't you come? Maybe you'd like to come and join the ministry of Huntsville Baptist Church. Whatever God is saying and doing in your heart and your life, we just encourage you to come as the Holy Spirit leads. To kind of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You, Lord, for the Gospel. We thank You and praise You, Lord, that it's so simple that even a young child can understand it yet so complex that even scholars, even today, have a hard time wrapping their minds around it. We thank you so much for your love and for your grace. And Lord, we just ask that if nothing else today, that you would provide us the assurance and security that we find in you by your love, by your grace, and by your mercy. We thank you for all that you've done and all that you continue to do. For us in Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen and amen. Would you please stand as we sing our final selection? Hymn number 288, where he leads me. The Bellator Christie Podcast is a production of bellatorchristie.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights are reserved. The views expressed by guests on the podcast are of those expressing them and may not represent those of the host Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The theme played on the podcast is the song Epic and is produced royalty-free by Bensound Studios, found at bensound.com. 
visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe by entering your email to receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox absolutely free. This podcast can also be found on several podcatchers, including iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We thank you for joining us today. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. Thank you.